0: Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. We, we take notes, and I, and I usually give a lot of points, uh, but there's only one point today. He got up. That, I, that's the only point to the whole sermon is that he actually got up, Okay. And so so but I want to give you a perspective uh, from John's account that uh, uh, is going to focus in on this one guy uh, and then we'll see what the Lord would say. So I'm going to start off from the first verse and then we'll read on down. Okay? here's what it says. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. It's really funny. The other disciple is John, <laughs> whose book we're reading, but he won't name himself. He's like plausible deniability. It was another guy. I'll let you guess who it was. OK, it's just personally hilarious to me. OK, the other disciple started uh, uh, out for the tomb uh, uh, when they were both running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings uh, lying there, but he didn't go in. Maybe that's why he didn't admit it was him. because <laughs> He was too afraid to go in. Okay. then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there uh, while the cloth uh, that had been that had covered Jesus head was folded up and laying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they had they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. (laughs) trying to give you as much immersion into the scripture as possible. Uh, And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, sir. (laughs) She said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Now, you know, you are grief stricken when you think the gardener took somebody's body. Okay. Just tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out Rabboni, which means, uh, which is in Hebrew for teacher. Uh, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, uh, but go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, same day, uh, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said to them, peace with, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others. When Jesus came, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do you know how blessed you are sitting in this building today? Pay close attention to verse 25. They told him we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see his Nail wounds in his hands, as I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. It it is my assignment to preach on this resurrection Sunday morning. I won't believe it till I see it. I won't believe it until I see it. Bow your heads. Let's pray before we get into the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, prove it. Amen. I pray quick. This narrative of uh, the resurrection uh, is the end credits of what has been an absolutely remarkable life and fulfillment of prophetic destiny. The first messianic promise given in all of the Bible is in the book of Genesis chapter number three, verse 15, where God speaking to Adam, Eve and the serpent says that the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent and he will bruise his heel. I just want you to think about that the first messianic promise given in scripture is before the third chapter of the first book is even completed. That God promises Jesus at the onsite of man's frailty and humanity and says, "Uh, I'm going to clear this whole thing up. I will fix this thing in a way that will permanently rectify what has just happened And I'm promising it to you right now. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent and he shall bruise his heel. There's only one problem with this prophecy that all scientists are still boggled by today if they are not believers. And that is women don't have seeds. How? 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 This is possibly going to be the fulfillment of prophetic destiny. God knows what he's doing. What I love about God is that he takes his time. He is not interested in meeting our timetable. He is not interested in showing up when you want him to show up. He takes his time. And boy, did he take his time with this one. That first prophecy that's given in Genesis 315, the fulfillment of it is not completed until 4000 years later. Not like four decades, years. Four Thousand years of history unfolding to the point that we get this young girl named Mary. Teenage girl, minding her own business. Catches the eye of this nice guy named Joseph. Joseph has his eye on Mary, but Joseph doesn't know that there's another person that has. His eye on Mary. Like, what do you do when, like, the girl you like, God likes? (laughs) Like, how do you even compete? Like, what do you say? Like, I have stock options and I have, like, a lot of money and savings. And God's like, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I created this website and it generates like millions of dollars for me a year. And God's response is like, yeah, I created everything. (laughs) How do you compete with that? And Joseph is already smitten and in love and betrothed to this young woman. But God has a plan to fulfill prophetic destiny that's been 4,000 years in the making She becomes overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And in a moment, Mary is pregnant without the assistance of Joseph because God said so. And you know that this has to be the Lord because Joseph did not kill her. (laughs) Scripture says that he thought about stoning her. At least we know he's human thought about stoning her. He thought about putting her away in private. But in the same angel that, that delivers the word to Mary also delivers it to Joseph. And Joseph says, even though this is going to look like a lot of drama and a hot mess, I'm going with it because I have a word from the Lord. How many of you know you can't go through with that unless you have a clear word from the Lord? You got to put on all social media updates, Complicated. She has this baby in a manger. And this baby grows up and has like the most silent life for 30 years. We don't hear much about him at his birth. I mean, we can't give Jesus credit for that. He's just a baby. He's like, <laughs> people are showing up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and Jesus is just a baby. After that narrative, we don't hear about him again until age 12 when they forgot to check him into children's ministry. And he winds up in the adult service and he's questioning the senior pastors. What do you think the scripture means? And they're like, who are you? Why are you not? Where's your little sticker? How come you're not upstairs in your class? are shocked by his aptitude, he's actually asking them questions about himself. When he's asking questions about scripture, he's asking questions about himself because John chapter one testifies that this is the word wrapped in flesh dwelling among us, the only begotten of the father we know these miracles that he does. I mean, they're, they're well documented. You could go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can see all of the incredible miracles that Jesus does from the first one to the last. The first one is absolutely amazing and relational. He goes to a wedding. Amen, Jesus. He turns water into wine, the first turn up in all of history. <laughs> documented. He opens blind eyes. He takes leprous skin. He heals it. If you can just get over in your mind the fact that he's born of a virgin, you understand if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the narrative that we adhere to is absolutely ridiculous. I completely understand why atheists think we're crazy. I completely understand why agnostics don't like us. I completely understand why people of different religions would think we are just the craziest people on earth. Because it is absolutely ridiculous to believe that a woman without a man had a baby and it's God's son. You can't come to that conclusion on your own. You need a little bit of help coming to that conclusion. Science won't get it to you. You investigating for 20 years won't get it to you. The Holy Spirit has to reveal to you what happened because he's the one that did it. (laughs) We see all of these amazing miracles that he does, and they all crescendo to him going to the cross to die for our sins. Just imagine that the assignment of the Lord Jesus Christ was not to come to do the miracles. It was to come to die. Something that he volunteered to do before the foundations of the world were even put into place. He said, I will do it for you. Cri- Scripture says that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. Before he even said, let there be light. This was already a done deal. He was going to do it. And he did. And boy, did he do it. He, he, he did it. You have to be some kind of man to endure what he endured. I I knew I couldn't have done it because I would have gave up at the whipping. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm just telling you, if you hit me across the back, look, my dad used to beat me. Not in a CPS way. (laughs) I never called the cops because I wouldn't be here right now. But he used to discipline me, and he used to spank me. And some of those spankings, I still remember vividly. Not like it was yesterday, like it was earlier today. (laughs) I I, I remember those whippings, and I remember thinking to myself, I will never do that again as long as I live. Okay, that's just a spanking from my dad over something I did wrong. Maybe it was a lie, maybe I took the car. He didn't know about that until just now. Daddy, (laughs) I, I took the car. When you and mom were asleep, would you please forgive me, okay? I do not want to get a whipping at 41. That is just, that's just not a good look. Jesus took a brutal beating before the cross. There'd be very few human beings that could endure just the beating he received, let alone what he endured On the cross, that they would nail an innocent man, but not just innocent, sinless. That they would nail an innocent, sinless man to a cross for my sin and yours. It's the greatest sacrifice ever recorded in all of humanity. They beat him. They stripped him naked. May I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that every time Hollywood has tried to depict Jesus, every time there has been a painting rendered of Jesus, there is always the loincloth. As if the Romans who wanted to punish you and embarrass you and humiliate you, cared whether you were naked or not. Let me beat you unmercifully, but make sure you're covered up for a little bit of dignity. He was naked on that cross. He was completely naked on that cross. I need you to understand that because that nakedness gives you full transparency as to why he can be your savior and mine. Because he covered nothing about his life up. He covered nothing about his body up. He made sure it was all there so that you could understand that when you come to him, you can see everything that comes with him. This wouldn't have been a graphic x-rated depiction because he was covered in blood. This wouldn't have been an act of indecency for us to behold because as scripture says he was so brutally beaten he was unrecognizable on the cross. I believe he was unrecognizable for a reason so that when God who should have been looking at all of our sins looked at his son even with squinted eyes, he couldn't pick out if that was Jesus or you. He couldn't pick out if that was Jesus or Christopher, if that was Jesus or Sally. He, he he could not discern. The body was so bloodied. It was so broken. It was so ripped open. He could not tell who it was. He just saw sin. On that cross sin was there hanging on behalf of all of us for hours until that such time that when the last sin had passed over his head and this is something that as vivid as my imagination is I still can't completely uh, understand what this looks like for the last sin to pass over his head but the man hung in there can you imagine if he would have gave up halfway through Like, I don't know where time would have recorded that. Well, uh, everybody up until 1950 is in. But he said he was sick of this, so he just, he left early. So everybody from 50 on, you guys are out. That would have been horrible. No, he hung up there till the last sin was over his head. But here's what I love about Jesus. As soon as it was over, he was done. As long as there was purpose over his head, there was a passion for him to be there. But as soon as that purpose was gone, there's no sense to me being in excruciating pain for absolutely no reason. So it is finished. Hear me. It is finished. He did not say I am finished. He said it is finished. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but there should be some things in your life that you declare today it is is finished after today I am not doing that anymore I am not going there anymore I'm not going back to my past I am not going back to that pain today it is finished you can call it without call without quitting you can declare a chapter of your life over without declaring that your whole life is over See, the enemy wants you to believe that your life is over, that that you need to call it quits, that you need to commit suicide, that 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 everything that's happened in your life, you're just you're just a victim of everything that's happened. and, And from now on, you should just walk away from everything. But no, here's what God says. Don't don't call your life over. Call this part of your life over. It is finished. And it was. He breathed his last. His head drooped down, cradled between his two shoulders. He was gone. The other criminals on either side of him were still trying to put up a fight. They had to come and break their legs. Because this crucifixion wasn't supposed to go into the next day. They came to Jesus. He was already done. For good measure, they just decided to poke him in his side till all of this fluid blood and water came gushing out of his side and it was done it was over he did it two guys that had followed him from a distance decided to come real close Nicodemus who came to see him at night and Joseph of Arimathea a very wealthy leader in the Sanhedrin council they come to get his body Joseph of Arimathea requests it from Pilate. Pilate says, please, take it off of my hands. And they go and prepare his body for burial. They put him in a tomb that Joseph bought, and there the body of Christ would lay from Friday until Sunday. Boy, I love Jesus. (laughs) Because when he gets up on that Sunday morning, um. there's no arrogance. I just really like this guy. I got to tell you, like, if I got into a fight and lost the fight, right, but then got back up, I would be like, yeah. <laughs> Thought you had me. I'm still here. That's just a fist fight. If, if you kill me, have a funeral for me, go and celebrate the fact that you killed me. You have a funeral service for me. Close the casket, put it in the ground. And three days later, I get up. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the first place I'm going. I wouldn't have revealed myself to the disciples. I wouldn't have revealed myself to Mary. I'd have went straight to the Roman centurion's house and be like, yeah, you was with the one with the nails, right? You you is your friend here? The one that poked me in the side? Tell him, come here. Tell him to get at me. I wanna see him real quick. Is he here? Is your friend here? No, he's not here. I just wanna see him real quick. Thought you had me. I would just be, there would be all types of arrogance, this is why I'm not Jesus. jesus gets up he doesn't even flee the scene he's like hanging out like the stone is rolled away and he's just like 10 feet from it just hanging out just seeing. let me see what everybody's gonna do mary comes in there and she's crying and, and he goes hey why are you crying come on jesus you know why she's crying why are you crying? She's like, if you, if you took him, just tell me where he is, and I'll go get him. He's like, Mary, it's me. And she's so excited. She grabs him. And, and now there, there's been all type of, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard sermons about, you know, when she grabbed him, don't cling to me because I haven't sent it to the Father. And all, all, all he's really saying is, you can't hang on because I got to go up, and you won't make that trip. That's all that meant. We don't need to get any deep theological peering into it. Don't touch me. His glory was too. No, she couldn't handle the atmospheric pressure because she'd have froze to death at like 40,000 feet. This is like if you want science. That's it. There you go. Sitting there. And he says, don't cling to me. Go tell my brothers. Think about it. One had betrayed him and already died. One of them had betrayed him three times, um, and d- denied him three times. They were all in hiding. They had basically been essentially turned into cowards. And he's still in love with them. He doesn't go, go find me some new people that believe this. Because Peter, mm-hmm, he didn't, I told him and he didn't believe me. So I don't want he, I don't even want Peter back. No, here's what he says. Go, go get my brothers. I, I know they're broken and, and they're weird and, and they're real frail and, and they're weak and they got little... Cowardly streak in them, but that's only because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And anybody without the Holy Spirit has the same tendencies, has the same proclivities. So we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He goes, hey, just go get him. Just go get him. Tell him to come back. And so Mary runs down to the house. The Savior, he's alive. Peter and John come, the other disciple. <laughs> they come and peek in. He's gone. He doesn't reveal himself to them there, though. He's not there anymore. You would think he would have stayed there till they got there and then, hey, see, I'm here. No. He says, I'm I'm out. They go back to the house. Later that evening, they're in a room behind locked, closed doors, and Jesus appears. That's gangster. Can I? Really? The door is locked and you just, you're just there. Everybody's just, you know, oh, my goodness, what we're going to do. And he's just he's just there. And it's 10 of the 11. Thomas is not there. I don't know what Thomas was doing. Okay, everybody likes to blame Thomas for doubting and being this. Oh, he doubted and he's so bad. And I mean, he's actually known throughout all of Christian history as doubting Thomas, like how you're a disciple of Jesus. He wound up being a missionary to India and saving thousands of people for Jesus Christ there. And, and, but he's known as Doubting Thomas. This is what we're going to refer to the guy as. But he's not there. I don't know if he's with his parents. I don't know if he went home, but he's not there when Jesus decides to show himself to his disciples. Peter, John, James, Matthew, all of these guys are there. Judas is dead. So it's only 10 guys there. And Jesus shows the scars. I just want you to think about that for a moment. You get up with a glorified body, but you keep your scars. Who does this? Because when we think about healing, we think about being completely healed and made whole with no holes, no scars no evidence of trauma. Here's Jesus resurrected from the dead in a glorified body that still has the markings from the pain he endured on the cross. How come he doesn't cover him up? How come he doesn't say, you know what? I'm covering that up. I'm glorified now. I'm a whole person because they wouldn't have believed him without his scars. May I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, just stop right here and say that testimonies are important. Your testimony is vitally important to your life as a believer. And the testimony is the same for all of us. Listen, there's been so many people that feel like they don't have a testimony if they haven't been shot nine times and did heroin for three years and wound up and wound up in prison for 16 years. No, no, no. A testimony is I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm, I see I I was disconnected from my father, but now I have a relationship with my father. That's the testimony. There's only two types of testimonies on earth. And here they are. God either saves you from something or he saves you through something. And they are both testimonies that we need to hear. I love to hear the testimony of somebody who had a really hard life and grew up without a dad and got involved in the wrong crowd and did drugs and 90 of your teeth fell out. And but then God bless you and you found a dentist and now you have a great smile and you love Jesus. That's fantastic. But I also love the testimonies of I have never done any of that. I was never in the wrong crowd. I, I, I'd never been to jail. I, I, I never drank or I never smoked. Or I never did any of this stuff. Uh, but 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 I was still lost. And I found Jesus and now my life is whole. Oh, yeah. Jesus keeps his scars because this was his proof. Yeah. It wasn't that he was just alive. It, it, the, the scars were proof that it was him, yeah. that it wasn't a stunt double. And he shows it to them. and they look at him and they go, oh, it's you. And they start rejoicing. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. You're alive. You're alive. They're so excited. But Thomas wasn't there. They go in and tell Thomas. Thomas! We saw the Savior! He's alive. Oh my goodness. We saw the nail prints in his wrist. We saw the hole in his side. It is Jesus. And here's Thomas. Mm-mm. Now, now I know um, the 12 tribes. Of The 12 tribes, I know about Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher, and um, when they settled uh, them into Canaan, you had uh, the half tribe of Manasseh, one half was on the east side of the Jordan River, one side, uh, one half was on the west side of the Jordan River, you had uh, Ephraim, Um, but but I think Thomas was from the tribe of Missouri. (laughs) Only 12 of y'all. I planned that all week, but only 12 years. It's okay. It's fine. Thanks for he was from the half tribe of Missouri. Um, <laughs> now everybody else is whispering it to other people. And now they're like, <laughs> show me state. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, he goes, I will not believe it until I see it. And we knocked Thomas for this. We think he's a bad guy for this. We think something's wrong with is, is wrong with Thomas's faith because he simply wanted to see it. Is that so hard? He, he's one of the original disciples. OK, so all 10 of y'all saw it. How come I don't get to see it? I, I, I want to take your word for it, but I think he picked me like he picked you. So I, I want to see it, too. Why, why are we calling this man a doubter? Maybe he just. He's just like, hey, am, am I in or am I out? But I can imagine the other 10 going, oh, oh, you don't believe me? How come you don't believe me? This is what a lot of believers do today to people that doubt like Thomas. We share our faith with them, and then when they don't immediately respond and go, oh, my goodness, I love Jesus like you do, we go, something's wrong with you. But maybe they haven't had the experience that you had. Maybe they haven't seen God at work in your life. Is it wrong to be a Thomas? Is it wrong to say, I just want to see him? If you get to see him, I want to see him. If you get to experience it, I want to experience it. I want to take your word for it. But if you had the experience the only thing I'm asking for is the same thing you got. And here's what I love about Jesus. He's not petty. Yay, not petty Jesus. This could have been an opportunity for Jesus to go, I'm sorry, what? What, Peter? He he didn't believe you? He's out. If he don't believe you, then I don't want nothing to do with him. I said that you were going to be the rock, and upon this rock I build my church, so if he doesn't believe you, then I don't want anything to do with him. Jesus wastes a week. Scripture says eight days, but just know in the Jewish calendar, they count the day of. That's why everybody that's been trying to, you know, how can it be three days if it was Friday, then it was Sunday? Because Jews count that day, too. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's how they count. Get over it. Okay, it's not late Tuesday afternoon. It wasn't. Late Monday evening, Okay, it was Sunday morning and it was three days because they count Friday, too. It was Friday. It was Saturday. It was Sunday. Three days. Stop it. (laughs) So when it says he comes back a week later, it's just from Sunday to Sunday, but it's eight days because they count Sunday too. a week later. They're back in the house door locked again, all hanging out. And Jesus comes back through the door like he did the first time. That's the best way I know how to even come close to getting in a door that's locked. <laughs> okay. He comes in the door. Peace be unto you. Because you have to say that. if you Listen, if you ever get this power. Okay. The next world, whatever that looks like. Okay. If you ever get this power, you have to say peace be unto you. When you just drop in like that, so that folks won't get startled. If you can just, you, peace, amen. <laughs> don't get the gun. It's just me. I don't. I know your alarm is on, but I don't need it. Okay. He comes in. Okay. And he goes right to Thomas. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus wanted to make sure. Listen. He said these, these are the guys I chose to go turn the whole world upside down. That's why we have those signs. We're not trying to be arrogant when we say Embassy City is called to, to upset the world. But this is, this is what he's called every church to do, is to upset the world. And we're not talking about making anybody mad. We're talking about turning them upside down with the love and the message of Jesus Christ. That's all we're talking about. And he comes in, and he goes straight to Thomas. I love Jesus. He's so concerned about Thomas. He wants to alleviate the doubt. This is what I love about Jesus. He's not petty enough to keep you in suspense if you really are searching for him. He's not trying to play a cat and mouse game with you. If you want to know him, he will show himself to you. Do I have any witness in here? I wanted to know who Jesus was. I was sick of my life the way it was, and I wanted to make sure I got to see him. He comes straight to Thomas. He said, hey, Thomas, look. Put your finger in there. If that was me, the mere fact that he came back, I'd have been like, I believe you. I don't need to do nothing. Listen, forgive me. I, you're here. I'm good. No, Thomas was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, he stuck his finger right through that little hole. He's like, OK. And then Jesus was like, now, OK, now get in, get in the side, too. Remember what he said? I want to put my finger in the hole and then I wouldn't put my whole hand in his side. Thomas, you're a little morbid. This is a little you're a little dark, Thomas. I don't know why you need need all this. You're not a medical examiner. OK, you're not a coroner. Does that. Then he, and Jesus is patient. Go ahead. Why? Because he's not intimidated about you checking him out. I'm talking to somebody in this building, you came on the right day. You have doubts, and you have concerns, and you want to know, is God big enough to handle my intellect? Yes, he is. He's not scared of you. You can ask him any question you want. Now, you might have met a pastor that got flabbergasted with you and got frustrated with you because you asked too many questions, and now you want to say that God's not real because that pastor whose church you went to couldn't answer your questions. But I promise you, if you stick with God, he will answer and reveal more things to you than you could ever ask of him. He just, go ahead. And Thomas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he pulls his hand out. There's no blood on it. There's no blood on his hand. When he stuck his finger through that hole, when it came out, there was no blood. Because that blood was on the mercy seat. He had a glorified body, but it was a different body. This wasn't about a heartbeat anymore. This was about physical proof that the Messiah was resurrected and that he was alive. And here's why there had to be no blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. When Mary saw him, he said, don't. Don't touch me yet. I have to go up and put this blood on the mercy seat. I'm that sacrifice. I got to go put it on the mercy seat. Once he puts it on the mercy seat, he comes back down. Here's what I got to tell you about your testimony. As long as you are still bleeding from your testimony, don't share it. I'm going to say it again. As long as you're still going through the testimony, do not share it. That is biohazardous material. And we do not want to be infected by something that you are still dealing with. When Jesus shared his testimony, it did not contaminate anybody. It did not make anybody doubt God. It actually freed them to believe in him. This is the testimony of Jesus. puts his hand inside, pulls it out. There's no blood. And here's what Jesus says after all that. Believe. <laughs> Just read the Bible. It's it's brilliant. He doesn't go to now now do you understand? Did you get it? Finger went through, your hand went in. Here's what he said. Believe. Like stop it. Stop the doubting. You don't need any more proof. Believe. Then he says, you believed because I came back, and you got to do all of this. But there's a day coming real soon when there's going to be some people more blessed than you that believe in me because they didn't see me. Now Here's where it leaves us today. How do we wind up having Thomas' same declaration? My Lord and my God when we don't get the physical body to examine? Why would God leave it like that? You came back for Thomas, you proved it to him, but now you're just going to leave us all hanging. We got to believe it on the account of somebody else's testimony. Here's what I believe Jesus' strongest implication is. Thomas, you believe because I came back and showed you. But from now on, when you all go out and preach the gospel, blessed are those that believe because they see you not me because they see me in you well then how does this work well the way it works now is we still get to do like Jesus did and show our scars we still get to show the pain and the brokenness that we went through but blessed are those people that believe in Jesus because what they see in us just like it was in him. Here's what he's saying. Hey, Thomas, I came back from you, but blessed are those uh, that are going to believe because they don't see me, because I am coming back again. But when I come back this last time, like, like everybody is going to believe me. But, but it'll be too late if they haven't already put their faith in me. Because that next time I come back, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is It's Lord. So here's what I want you to do before. Um, Here's what I believe Jesus's uh, 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 encouragement and exhortation is to us today. Hey, um, Thomas, believe me because they saw me. But but I want you to believe me because you saw Tasha. I want you to believe me because you saw Jerry. I want you to believe in me because you saw Samantha. I want you to believe in me because you saw Billy and you knew Billy. You know there has to be a guy because you know how Billy was before he gave his life to me. And there is no way Billy did that just on his own. Find your faith in me because of what I'm doing in other people's bodies, just like it was done in mine. You want to believe in me? Well, well, believe, believe what happened to Tim. That I could take a young man who got molested when he was eight years old got bound into pornography addiction when he was 19, and then I turned the silly little man that wanted to be a cop into a preacher. It's absolutely ridiculous. You don't believe me? Believe what I did in him. Believe what I've done in Christopher. Believe what I've done in Margaret. Believe because of what I've allowed you to see in other people's lives. There is a whole world that is declaring the same thing as Thomas. I won't believe it until I see it. And we as believers have a responsibility to show our scars in the same way he showed his. To give our testimony in the same way that he gave his. And not to beat people up in the process, but to give them an opportunity to respond to what Jesus has done in their life. I I won't believe it until I see it. That day for me was January 14th, 1996. I was raised in church. My parents pastored a church for 15 years. It's a church that I gave my life to Jesus Christ in, God's Way Holiness Fellowship. Gave my life to Christ in that church. I've heard countless sermons for 20 years leading up into that day. But on that day, the Holy Spirit just revealed himself to me. And he made me aware that I was disconnected from God. And on that day for me, it's all I needed to see. All I needed to see is my own sins and how it disconnected me from God. And I said, I, I, I have to change. And he did it for me because I wanted to see him. And he will do the same thing for you. You haven't done anything too bad that he won't come back and reveal himself to you. You haven't gotten so low that he's forgotten you, doesn't want to be bothered with you, is not thinking about you. If you want to see him, he will show himself to you. I'll believe it when I see it. And you can see him today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.